This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Kyrgyzstan, officially known as the Kyrgyz Republic, is a country located in Central Asia. It is surrounded by four other countries, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and China. Size-wise, it is around 77,000 square miles, and population as of recent is around 6.5 million. The country is divided into seven regions, and the capital city of Kyrgyzstan is Bishkek, but before 1991, it was called Frunze. More than 70% of the population is made up of the Kyrgyz people, while the remaining include the Uzbeks, Russians, Ukrainians, and other ethnic groups from around that area. The country's ethnic composition has shifted greatly over the years. Before gaining independence, maybe only 50% of the people were local Kyrgyz, while 30% were Russian. As the years went on, the Kyrgyz population grew and the Russian, Ukrainian, and German population decreased significantly. One thing to note, the Kyrgyz people belong to a larger group of Turkic peoples, basically a collection of different ethnic groups that are found throughout Central, East, North, West Asia, and some parts of Europe and Africa. The word Kyrgyz could be roughly translated to, we are 40, which could be referring to the original 40 tribes. The official language is Kyrgyz, which is very similar to the Kazakh language but Russian is also considered a native or a second language. About 90% of the population identify as Muslim, and although that's a high percentage, the country is actually a secular state. Islam isn't as prominent here as it is in other Islamic states, although they are starting to become more and more important, which may begin to affect matters related to politics, and certain Islamic values may be restored. The rest of the population either subscribe to the Russian Orthodoxy or other minor religions. The Kyrgyz way of life is a bit similar to that of the Mongolians, as they are semi-nomadic, live in yurts, and care for many animals like sheep, horses, and yaks. The country is filled with beautiful landscape, and definitely worth a visit in the future. Let's take a quick look at the history of the country. One of the earliest actual written record of this place was documented in Chinese writings from around 2000 BCE, and the Kyrgyz were later on described in Chinese and Muslim sources as being red-haired, fair complexion, with blue or green eyes. Fast forward many years, the Kyrgyz state reached their greatest expansion ever, all the way to the current Xinjiang region in China. But a few hundred years later, what we know of as the Mongol Empire came around and did what they did best, take over everything, and the Kyrgyz became a part of the empire in 1207. Kyrgyzstan regained their freedom in the early 1500s, but in the 1700s were under the control of China's Qing dynasty. Then the Uzbeks took over in the early 1800s. 
A country that has a strong connection and relationship with Kyrgyzstan is Russia, or what was known as the Russian Empire back in the day. Kyrgyzstan and Russia had been pretty close since the Russians took Kyrgyzstan from the Khanate of Kokand, an Uzbek state that was controlling Kyrgyzstan back in 1876. Soviet rule was made official around 1917, and in 1926, Kyrgyzstan became known as the Kyrgyz Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic. During Soviet rule, Kyrgyzstan underwent a lot of social, cultural, economic, developmental, and educational changes. As the Kyrgyz were more nomadic in their way of life, the Russians sort of began the whole urbanization trend. This is just an example of how these two countries with very different backgrounds came together, forming what we know of as present-day Kyrgyzstan. Even their form of writing had gone through many changes, such as introducing an Arabic-based Kyrgyz alphabet in 1924, then changing it up to Latin script only four years later, then adopting the Cyrillic script in 1941. Imagine having to go to school during these years, learning and relearning all these types of writing. Years went by, and in the year 1990, opposition groups began to rise up, and the Kyrgyzstan Democratic Movement was formed. Before this, the communists were usually the ones in charge, and even during elections, they were the only ones in the race. So, long story short, this movement to become more independent became a bigger thing, and the people voted their communist leader out of power. The country's name was changed to the Republic of Kyrgyzstan, and the capital city name was also changed. In August of 1991, the Supreme Soviet, or the Soviet Supreme Councils, voted for Kyrgyzstan's independence. Now that Kyrgyzstan was independent, they became very focused on creating and re-establishing their own identity, one that was true to their heritage and free of Russian influence. As one would expect, the country also experienced some political unrest, mostly related to corrupt politicians and things like that. The president during this time, Askar Akayev, had been president since 1990. He did receive a lot of support at one point in his career, but things went downhill and in 2005, during the Tulip Revolution, the Kyrgyz people called for his resignation. They were sick of the government's manipulation and fraud schemes Instead of stepping down, though, he ran away first to Kazakhstan and then to Russia. It took him about two weeks to finally face defeat and resign as president. The newly elected president, Kurmanbek Bakiev, was no better, though. He had tons of power as president, although he had once promised to limit his presidential power. Politicians were getting assassinated left and right. There were economic problems, all that stuff. In short, he sucked and was focused on his own power. People protested and asked him to resign in 2007, but he refused and ended up winning another presidential election. He still did not deliver or make the place better for the people, and eventually all that tension reached its boiling point. A revolution broke out in 2010, where protesters marched to government buildings in the capital city of Bishkek. People were arrested, lives were lost, but it worked. The corrupt president, like the last one, ran away to Afghanistan, then to Belarus, where he received political asylum. Very interesting how this country got rid of two terrible presidents, one after the other. Tough people, and they sure know what they want. 
Despite its fight for independence, Kyrgyzstan and Russia are actually very close, and Kyrgyzstan relies on Russia for many things. You can still find various Soviet Russian monuments and cultural aspects throughout Kyrgyzstan, and Russia has also aided Kyrgyzstan in many ways. Now, let's discuss fun things. One of the best tourist spots in Kyrgyzstan is Lake Isik-Kul, where tons of resorts are set up along the lake. Football, horse riding, and wrestling are considered the most popular sport, and bandy is on the rise. If you don't know what bandy is, it pretty much looks like hockey with a few differences. One last thing worth mentioning is the importance of an epic poem from Central Asia called The Epic of Manaz. It's basically a story about a guy named Manaz, his travels, his battles, you know, that kind of stuff. No one really knows how old the story is, but it has strongly influenced the Kyrgyz people and their culture. Okay, so that was a slightly longer overview of Kyrgyzstan. Now, let's discuss today's topic. Bride kidnapping. Bride napping? Stealing women away to make them your wife. Just to be clear, this is not something that only happens in Kyrgyzstan, but in this episode, I will be mostly discussing how this works in Kyrgyzstan. Kind of like my episode on honor killings in Pakistan. It obviously doesn't just happen in Pakistan. On the surface, it may sound completely wrong and ridiculous. I get that. When I first started researching it, it made me really uncomfortable and I was so ready to get angry. It still makes me uncomfortable, but knowing more about it could help clear up some misconceptions and possible bias. Let's begin. Before we discuss the situation in Kyrgyzstan, let's look at bride kidnapping from a more general and historical angle. As many of you probably already know, kidnapping women and making them your wife or lover is something that's been around for years and also seen in many cultures. This practice has once upon a time traveled far and wide. The Vikings did it, Mayan tribes, the Hmong in Southeast Asia, the Romani people, etc. Nowadays, though, it is mostly seen in Central and Western Asia, occasionally in other regions like Africa or Europe. The general idea is far from romantic, though. It usually depicts a man who sees a lady he wants and makes her his woman by kidnapping her and raping her. Calling her a wife or a lover is a rather nice way to put it, but in my opinion, it's more like making her your sex slave and eventually brainwashing her into staying. So generally speaking, what makes people want to kidnap or steal women away instead of asking them nicely and all that stuff we're more comfortable with nowadays? A woman could be kidnapped if, say, her family doesn't approve of the man she loves, but instead of eloping, he takes her, quote-unquote, against her will, so it creates a sort of, uh, oh no, I can't help what's happening situation. If a man's family is unable to pay the bride price to the woman's family, they may opt to just kidnap her, pretty much taking stuff without paying. Or if a man wanted a woman, but she just didn't feel the same way, he just takes her anyway. These situations may also include child brides. Many times though, when the woman or girl is kidnapped, her family is semi-forced to accept the situation and may even try to convince the kidnapped woman to accept her situation as well, mostly to save face. You know, woman and virginity and being pure. 
The concept of bride kidnapping is similar to that of forced or arranged marriages, but a bit more extreme. Most times, only the man's family knows of the kidnapping, whereas in arranged marriages, it takes two sides. Most cases of bride kidnappings happen in traditional, patriarchal, agricultural societies. The man is the breadwinner, maybe works the fields, finds himself a nice lady, takes her from her family, has kids with her, and the bride will then work for the husband's family, taking care of them and doing all the housework. Say you're taken under the worst circumstances. You've never met the guy, he rapes and forces you to marry him, you end up having many of his children, you tend to not just him and your kids, but also his entire family. I might sound presumptuous, but it certainly doesn't sound like a life most people would want. Certainly not me. A more concise term for bride kidnapping in Kyrgyzstan would be ala kachu, and it encompasses a variety of so-called bride kidnapping scenarios. According to Wikipedia, the term ala kachu literally means to take a young woman and run away. Bride kidnapping in Kyrgyzstan tends to follow a main script, and without going into emotions or whether it was consensual or not, here is how it usually goes down. A man sets his sights on someone he wants to marry. It could be someone he knows, someone he doesn't know, or even his own girlfriend. He then gathers his closest male friends or male relatives, and they devise a kidnapping plan. Usually the man's entire family knows what's about to go down, so technically, they're all kind of planning a kidnapping and wedding. Except it's completely one-sided. The men then put their plan into action and end up taking the woman back home either by force or by tricking her. Once she gets to their destination, she is then put in a room with all the man's relatives, where they all try to convince her to marry him. They will hold a scarf veil type of thing, and as soon as the woman agrees to marry the guy, the woman will put on the scarf veil as a sign of acceptance. Then the whole family will hold a wedding, have fun, eat, drink, and be merry. One thing to note though, Sometimes it may take more than an hour or two to convince the kidnapped woman to agree to this marriage. Shocking, I know. It could take days even, and by then her own family would have probably heard of her situation. But most times, even if the woman insists on returning home, her own family may try to convince her to stay and marry the kidnapper. I suppose it makes them look bad if their daughter has a so-called failed marriage. Also, being kidnapped sort of implies losing their virginity, and God forbid that. Since bride kidnapping has been around for hundreds of years, it's not exactly too surprising that this practice still exists in certain places, like Kyrgyzstan. Back in ancient times, though, people did it for various reasons. For example, when tribes invaded other tribes, they would sometimes take their women and children and make them part of their own tribe as a way to assert dominance. The stronger ones take what they can, and the weaker ones must comply or possibly face death. But why do the Kyrgyz have this tradition? According to different sources and various experts, it is believed that bride kidnapping was originally used in a consensual, non-consent manner, as in a fake kidnapping. A woman's parents may disapprove of the man, so he kidnaps her with her consent, and her family ends up accepting because they have to. Or, if a man's family is unable to pay the bride price for whatever reason, 
he decides to kidnap the woman with her consent to avoid all the hassle. Sometimes men would compete for the affection of one woman, and instead of competing in a way we would consider fair and square, one man, maybe even the boyfriend, would just snatch her away in a twisted form of first come, first serve. Before and during Soviet Russia rule, these bride kidnappings and arranged marriages were mainly how people got married, but Soviet Russia was determined to get rid of this practice as it was seen as unequal for women. This happens a lot, where a foreign power comes in and tries to change all the local traditions and customs, except many times it fails or it just ends up evolving into something else. The fake bride kidnapping method worked well in Kyrgyz society, though. It low-key gave women a choice as to who they wanted to marry, and also helped them keep the whole purity game going. Apparently, when a woman seems too eager to marry, it is seen as a turn-off for men and for the society, which I find sort of problematic. In one instance, a Kyrgyz man interviewed stated that women usually turn down marriage proposals even if they want to marry, because accepting too quickly makes them look desperate. This kind of brings up the whole no means yes problem. What if they really just didn't want to marry you? Different studies about the prevalence and stats of bride kidnappings have been conducted over the years, and although the numbers can differ, fact is that there is still a portion of women who have been kidnapped against their will. Kidnapping cases with some form of consent was usually how it happened, but over the years, non-consent cases have increased. In one study conducted by Professor Russell Kleinbach, about one-third to half of married Kyrgyz women have been married via bride kidnapping, and maybe about a third of those are non-consensual. Kyrgyzstan has a lot of different ethnic groups like I mentioned earlier, and bride kidnapping is something more prevalent amongst ethnic Kyrgyz, as it's seen as their tradition. Almost all marriages in rural and southern Kyrgyz villages came from bride kidnapping. In a study and article published by Reuters, the average age of women kidnapped for marriage is around 19, which is pretty damn young. What's pretty sad is that Kyrgyzstan is progressing, and more women are getting college educations and have dreams of becoming career women. This doesn't work for men looking for marriage, though, as that means women will be more independent, be more ambitious, and will likely fight back against tradition. Once a woman is taken... All the time they invested in education is essentially gone, and they will now be forced to serve their husband's family till her death. Basically, a woman's life purpose is to become someone's wife, give birth, and take care of the kidnapper's family. Although it may not sound as bad when women are kidnapped by their boyfriends, it still takes away their choice of when and how they want to get married. Maybe they had stuff they wanted to do. Maybe they wanted to finish college. Or maybe they wanted a proposal and a consensual marriage. Is this really tradition though? Or is it just something spun to sound like tradition when it's just used to benefit the men of Kyrgyzstan? Bride kidnapping was banned during Soviet rule, but afterwards it made a comeback and despite the government outlawing it once again, nothing much seemed to have changed. Can you go to the police if someone you know has been taken as a bride against their will? Yes, you definitely can, but will they do anything about it?
Many times. Now, it's technically illegal, but sometimes in places that focus heavily on family and tradition, the people will likely take the side of tradition rather than the law. I think, in a way, it's similar to the act of honor killing, where technically it's legal since you're killing someone, but it's also seen as a family matter, so the police tend to stay out of it. Apparently, if the Kyrgyz police do plan on taking action on punishing the kidnappers, the kidnapper could get thrown in jail for about three years. That sounds like they're doing something about it, right? Before you answer, though, it's also important to know that stealing a cow could land you 11 years in prison. Basically, you could get more years in jail over cows, and you're also more likely to get prosecuted over stealing cows and women. Not sure how I feel about that, but definitely not great. There was a case where a woman was kidnapped by a man she never met. He raped her, and once her family learned about this, they pressured her to stay and marry the man. Against everyone's wishes, she ran away and later committed suicide. The kidnapper and rapist was sentenced to a total of six years. Not to be presumptuous, but I'm going to assume that most of us here will agree that bride kidnapping shouldn't be a thing. Mostly the non-consensual ones. Not because I want to spit on other people's tradition, but because it's holding back not only women, but society as a whole. On the surface, it's clear that this tradition is denying women their rights to their future and personal choices. Who they want to marry, when they want to marry, or even if they want to marry. It's especially scary being a progressive modern woman living in a society like this where anything you've ever wanted or worked hard for could be taken away just like that. Just because some dude thought you were pretty and wanted to wife you up. Like, thanks for choosing me, but no thanks. Aside from the whole freedom of choice thing, reports state that up to 90% of domestic violence cases between spouses happen in bride-kidnapping marriages. That says a lot. As a woman forced into marriage, it's not surprising to see that they basically have no choice in anything. You don't want to marry? Too bad. Relatives and friends will coerce and persuade you into it. Don't want kids? Too bad. He is your husband and he will make you a mother. Husband is being abusive? Well, you're the wife, so you have to be there for him and suck it up. This then leads to another issue. Suicide. I don't have statistics for suicide amongst kidnapped brides, but it is definitely there. There have been cases of kidnapped brides who fought hard to reject marriage, but later on ended up committing suicide. I don't think this is especially surprising. If being alive means living a life you absolutely hate, with no one by your side to support you, not even your own family, then maybe choosing death feels more liberating. I have two cases of bride kidnappings that I would like to share with you now that we have a general idea and background of what bride kidnapping, or a la Kachu, is like. The following two stories are reported by a documentary photographer by the name of Noriko Hayashi. The images and descriptions are extremely powerful, and if you're interested in learning more, Google her name and you will find her work. Now let's introduce our main characters for the first story. A 24-year-old history teacher named Amat Kasimbev and his love interest, 22-year-old university student, Dinara. 
Amat met Dinara at a marketplace, and for him, it was love at first sight. For her, not so much. She knew of him, but not well enough to want to marry him. He then devised a plan with his brothers to kidnap her, and that's exactly what they did only 10 days after meeting her. Dinara was taken to Amat's home where she was put in a room with his relatives and they began their brainwashing session. It took them about five hours and she finally relented, saying yes to this marriage, and a white scarf was put over her head. Her parents were not too happy with her being kidnapped and told Amat that if he wanted to marry her, he should propose to her in a more formal manner. So he proposed to her the next day with an engagement earring. Dinara was a Russian literature and Turkish language student at a university. She was also one of the top students in the school and had dreams of moving to Turkey for work. As soon as she was taken, though, all her studies and dreams no longer mattered. Did she try to fight back? Well, yes, for five hours. Quote, I didn't know Amat well and didn't want to stay there but I accepted because this is our tradition, end quote. Imagine how many women give up their lives all for the sake of tradition. The second case has a bit of a different outcome, and I assume many of you will prefer this one. 20-year-old Farida was a university student. She had only met Tiktibek twice before getting kidnapped. This was a surprise to her, and when she was snatched off the street and put into a car by force, she screamed at him to stop, and that she will marry him, but just stop it now. She was taken to his home, where the elder relatives began their rounds of convincing, coercing, and brainwashing. Tiktibek told her that if she married him, she will be very happy for the rest of her life. Farida obviously disagreed. Quote, How come you kidnapped me? You know that I have a boyfriend. Even if I married you, there would be no love in our married life, end quote. I feel like a lot of people in arranged marriages or alakachu marriages think of love as something they can develop later on. Sometimes it can work out, yes, but if one of the partners involved is already in a relationship, that's going to be a little tough. Farida doesn't give up, though. She manages to get in touch with her family, and this is when her superhero brother comes to her rescue. He arrives and grabs his sister while surrounded by the man and his family members. He told them, quote, If my sister wants to stay here, I won't stop her. But look at her. She is crying and is saying that she wants to leave. So I will take her back home. End quote. If this isn't touching, I don't know what is. Tiktipak and his family eventually gave up, and the siblings returned home. Farida ended up marrying her actual boyfriend a few weeks later. Farida's story is something we would consider a relief, a somewhat happy ending. But this is not the experience most kidnapped women go through. The two examples I gave were more along the lines of, quote, stranger abductions, or at least abducted by someone whom the women were not romantically linked to. So let's talk about the opposite of that. A boyfriend kidnapping his own girlfriend might sound kind of strange. You might think, dude, just go about it normally and propose to her. Don't kidnap her. But because of tradition and selfish wants, they still do it. 
Some men feel like they're ready for marriage. They may be a bit older than their girlfriends. She may still be young, still studying. So she says no. She is not ready for marriage and motherhood. This is when the boyfriend will literally take her against her will and make her his wife, despite the fact that they probably would have gotten married eventually anyway. Most times, these girlfriends will not be too happy about getting snatched off the streets because, let's face it, it's a bit humiliating getting dragged into a car against your will. Also, it ruins their entire life plan. But because of tradition and all the coercion she's going to face from family and friends, they always end up agreeing to it. It's the sad truth. Many girls from a young age see other women get abducted and forced into marriage. They grow up hearing about it, and they know that this is very likely the future that awaits them. Kyrgyz women have been protesting against this tradition. They are demanding an end to bride kidnapping because women deserve to live a life on their terms. In 2018, a kidnapped woman who went to the police was put in a jail cell along with her kidnapper, probably because police didn't know what to do with them. The kidnapper stabbed the woman to death in the cell. She was only 20. This sparked an outrage. More and more women began to voice their concerns. A Kyrgyz fashion designer... Zamira Moldosheva protested in her own way. She gathered kidnapped and abused women and set up a fashion show. In a way, she was giving these women power to stand up after a traumatizing event, allowing them to have their identity restored. Quote, Bride kidnapping is not our tradition. It should be stopped. End quote. The fight continues to this day, and hopefully these women will get the freedom and equality they deserve. So there you have it the so-called tradition of bride kidnapping. To be honest, I thought of this topic in a very two-dimensional way when I first started researching it. I had no idea there were so many different layers to it, so many different types of scenarios. Whenever I come across these so-called traditions, it leaves me wondering, where do you draw the line between tradition and just plain abuse and violence? Should we keep things around just because it is considered tradition? There's a quote about tradition that really makes sense to me. Tradition is tyranny of the dead. A more modern version of that would be, tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. Also, this tradition has clearly evolved from something consensual into something violent. An elderly Kyrgyz couple in their 80s stated that, quote, We don't like the modern way of bride kidnapping. When we were young, it was consensual kidnapping. We knew each other well and exchanged love letters before kidnapping. Nowadays, young people violently kidnap women, and this is not our tradition. End quote. What was once a consensual kidnapping has now turned violent, and yet people still insist it is tradition. What do you think? I also don't want to sound like I'm denying people of their traditions and ways of life just because I don't really understand it. But there's always a line. Where do you draw it? I suppose when lives are at stake and when people are forced to do things they don't want to do, that would be a good place to draw the line. Thank you all again for tuning in. I hope this episode wasn't too depressing. Again, if you have any comments or suggestions, always feel free to reach out to me. Take care and stay safe. Till next time.
And before I go, I would love to say thank you to my newest reviewer, Big Meaty Claws from the US, and my new Patreon members, I love Lisa and Chris M. Thank you for all your support. And it is because of your support that I can continue doing this podcast, whether it is Patreon or whether it's reviews or even just you listening. I highly appreciate it. So thank you all very, very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.